There are so many dualities when we talk about the employee experience. It's almost like those old cartoons where there's an angel on your shoulder and a devil on the other going, be professional, and the other one goes, just relax a little. So are you super buttoned up or more relaxed? And there are other dualities too, like whether you want your employees to be fully remote or work from home. How much of the experience do you want to be digital versus in-person? Do you focus on honing employees' strengths or working on their blind spots? The truth is that the best employee experience is often somewhere in the middle, professional and authentic, world-class and local touch, because there's room for both. It's all about finding the balance between the two. That's what we're talking with Dan Weber about today. We spend so much time in the business world focusing on our development areas, our weaknesses, but we sometimes forget that we bring natural talents and strengths and we can gain a lot by capitalizing on those while also looking at our blind spots. Um, but if we, all we do is spend time on our blind spots, then we forget about some of the kind of natural gifts and, and strengths that we've had. And, and you know, since joining uh, Marshall McLennan Agency, I feel like it's allowed me to tap into some of my just natural desire to want to connect with others on a personal and less formal way um, while still being professional. I think that they can coexist, uh, being your authentic self while being your best professional self. Dan is an award-winning HR leader and the Chief Human Resources Officer at Marsh McLennan Agency for the Southwest region. Marsh McLennan Agency is a global professional services firm that provides business insurance, employee health and benefits, retirement, and private client insurance solutions to organizations and individual clients. There, Dan leads the HR team and oversees compensation, benefits, onboarding, and more. And today, Dan is talking with us about becoming a Pied Piper for talent, finding the sweet spot between responsibilities and compensation, and balancing professionalism and authenticity. On Cruising Altitude, we talk about employee experience lessons from leaders at companies with over 30,000 employees. A lot like reaching cruising altitude at 30,000 feet, things look a little different when you're managing 30,000 people. On this podcast, we bring you insights from the leaders who inhabit that rarefied air. Today's episode features an interview with Dan Weber. But first, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cruising Altitude. This episode is brought to you by First Up, the company that's redefining the digital employee experience to put people first and lift companies up by connecting every worker everywhere with the information that helps them do their best work. First Up has helped over 40% of the Fortune 100 companies like Amazon, Ford, and Pfizer stay agile and keep transforming. Learn more at firstup.io. My name is Dan Weber. I'm centered uh, out of Dallas, Texas, and I do feel like I've got the greatest job in the world. I'm the chief human resources officer for uh, Marsh and McLennan Agency Southwest. Our parent company is Marsh and McLennan Worldwide. It's a leading firm of human resource, capital management, and consultancy and risk management services. The organization that I get to lead the HR services for is uh, largely Texas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana, and get to lead the whole suite of HR services. And uh, it's a real pleasure to be here today. 
I was actually on a call the other day where people said, you know, none of us probably planned on doing what we're doing and that we never want to be this when we grew up. I kind of did. I kind of did want to be a part of helping lead and see people uh, reach their potential. And I feel like that's what I get to do in this uh, CHRO role. So kind of soup to nuts when it comes to the, uh, the whole HR function. Let's take a step back and take a look at Dan's industry overall in the flight plan. So this is an industry I never thought I'd find myself uh, in. It's called the insurance industry, but I think it's so much more important than, than that. We do help manage risk for our, our clients, uh, but it's also just providing the overall employee experience and all the benefits that go into that. But in a nutshell, we're the broker that helps, I like to describe, helps CFOs and leaders uh, make the, the most important decisions they can about some of their highest spend, which is insuring their physical assets, but also providing benefits for their human capital. And in doing that, we're often considered the largest player in the mid-market segment um, here in Texas and Louisiana. You know, every company, every um, organization talks about their culture. And if you were to describe our colleague um, persona, it's, it's family. And even more important than that, we look for true servant leaders. We're famous for describing, we don't care where you came from or what you look like or what your own creed is, we just care that you put people first and that you're willing to um, put uh, your colleagues above your title and that you are there to uh, look out for others. Uh, We feel like if we take care of our colleagues, they're going to take care of our clients and then magically they take care of our owners and our overall shareholders. We're often considered kind of a an informal, quirky kind of persona. You know, this is the first company I've ever worked for where I've, I've actually been okay with connecting on uh, social media and Instagram and, and being a part of the personal lives of my colleagues because, you know, I grew up in HR in a very uh, corporate blue chip environment. And those were just some boundaries you didn't cross. But in this organization, we really encourage folks getting to know each other and being a part of each other's lives. And um, that might mean being involved in the community. It might mean being involved in um, your faith and being comfortable with bringing that to the office. You can say that we want people to bring their most authentic selves. Uh, In fact, that's my goal as an HR leader is I feel like I'm successful if I'm able to help others bring their best authentic selves to work. And so that means that we are often quirky, silly. We have uh, one of our most favorite events. The end of each year is our holiday breakfast where um, some uh, share talents, some sing and dance. Uh, We make fun of each other and we try our best to not take ourselves too seriously because we work very hard, but we also make sure that we have a lot of fun and that we, we take time out to laugh, commiserate, and honestly be a part of each other's lives. Like Dan said, he grew up in HR and experienced all different styles of leadership within human resources. So he's used all of that experience to develop a style uniquely his own. I was so used to corporate speak, you know, growing up and, you know, uh, through the MBA program, through uh, working at Verizon and other just wonderful organizations that really taught me great financial acumen and seeing how HR is done well and done right. But then there's a difference between doing that and making a connection with your colleagues, the folks that you spend more time with and often sometimes we spend with our own personal relationships. And it did force me in the beginning to kind of change the way 
way I write, the way I communicate. And for me, it was really letting down a guard that became very natural for me that I all of a sudden realized, gosh, I can actually talk like a person (laughs) and not like, you know, an HR bot um, and actually have connections and trust that if you build certain relationships that you can be yourself and trust that they're going to take it the right way and, and really trusting the best intentions of others that you're not going to be quoted out of context or um, that you're not going to be misrepresented. It takes a lot of trust. And that is something we work very hard at trying to foster in our organization. Some days we're great at it. Some days we make mistakes and we ask for forgiveness and we try to improve and make good on it. I'm sure you've heard the phrase putting the human in human resources, but being human, like admitting mistakes, asking for forgiveness, is part of the HR role. We're complex, imperfect beings and a constant work in progress. So Dan's job is to help support employees where they need it most and to shine a light on their unique strengths. What makes them unique and how can employees be empowered to translate that strength into their purpose within the organization? I do believe that um, it is important to focus on your brand, your polish, but that doesn't mean that it's a one size fits all. How, how you're successful might very well be you leaning in on what makes you unique and makes you special. You know, there's a book, and actually I'm trying to remember who the author was, that the title was Now Focus on Your Strengths. We spend so much time um, in the business world focusing on our development areas, our weaknesses, but we sometimes forget that we bring natural talents and strengths and we can gain a lot by capitalizing on those while also looking at our blind spots. But if all we do is spend time on our blind spots, then we forget about some of the kind of natural gifts and and strengths that we've had. And, and, you know, since joining Marshall McLennan Agency, I feel like it's allowed me to tap into some of my just natural desire to want to connect with others on a personal and less formal way while still being professional. I think that they can coexist, being your authentic self while being your best professional self. Supporting employee growth and development becomes easier when you get to know who your employees are, understanding what they care about and what motivates them. You know, a favorite book of mine uh, written by Dan Pink called A Drive, and it, it talked about what motivates uh, everyone. And it is, it's different. It's on an individual level. It used to always be a stick or a hook. You know, you're trying to, to give an incentive or you're trying to punish. And we are so far beyond that, or we should be. Uh, in my organization, we don't build anything. We sell our expertise and our relationship, our ability to be able to truly take care of our clients in the times that really matter most. And Dan Pink in his book talks really well about you don't motivate through the traditional incentives or punishments. But all that being said, people do need to meet their bills and still, you know, meet their obligations. And so my goal is always, how can I take those basic, you know, at the bottom of the Maslow's uh, hierarchy, that, 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 how can I take that off the table? How can I make sure that they're able to get paid what makes sense get the benefits that they need. And then let's focus on what really lights you up and really uh, motivates you in your career. It's tricky and we don't always get it right. And so it means that we we do scour a lot of industry data to find out, okay, what is our sweet spot? Because if we don't pay, um, at least within market, then you're asking people to focus on something you don't want them to focus on, which is pay. Um, but if you overpay, then you almost overcorrect and you create a new brand for yourself that you never intended that you only hire top earners. And so our sweet spot has always been try to be um, hide in plain sight where you pay what makes the most sense for what you're asking somebody to do. And to that extent, if you can take that off the table and then find out 
what are their career goals? We find that more and more we're realizing we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And it often can be being a part of a vision or a mission that an organization has. Um, And again, since we're not selling anything, we're selling peace of mind. And a lot of our most successful colleagues, it's something they can grab onto and feel like that they're a part of. Shepherding employees towards that deeper purpose is a big key to success. Let's talk about more of those best practices in First Class. So one of our mantras is always be recruiting. Our CEO, his belief is that you can't really become a leader in an organization unless you have a following. And he will honestly look at how many people have you brought into the organization, you know, this year, because he believes we should all be, uh, he calls it a Pied Piper for talent. And that you need to be that kind of electric or magnetic individual that, that brings others um, that have similar um, strong values into the organization. So we are always recruiting. We can the recruiting function as consultants and we're there to support what our leaders should already be doing. They should already be networking. They should already be bringing referrals. And so we focus heavily on referrals because we know that's how we're going to get more of the great culture that we have. And that that's probably practice number one is to always be recruiting um, externally. But then practice two is always be recruiting internally. Uh, we have regular focus groups with our new hires, with our tenured colleagues. Um, and then if anyone is ever thinking of leaving, also having um, those preventative or even, you know, exit interviews. We probably overcorrect in doing focus groups and surveys and trying to understand where we're at with our colleagues because our, you know, our culture is so important to us. It's something that we're constantly looking for ways to keep the finger on the pulse, but that's how we feel like we should always be recruiting back our colleagues. They're here, but we want to continue to have stay interviews and keep recruiting them. I think the third, and before we really get into kind of the digital realm, is working on and improving and strengthening the um, supervisor-employee relationship. So the things I know you and I have talked about uh, before are how important that relationship with the boss, lead, or supervisor, whomever is closest to you, that person is really the company to you. And so we spend a lot of time working with our supervisors pouring into them the skills necessary to build the best possible relationship and connection, that trust that we've been talking about, that trust, that connection with their colleagues. Uh, And we use the word colleagues intentionally because we're all partners together. We're all internal clients and customers to each other. We're all colleagues. But one of the things we always emphasize with our supervisors, and it's such an old term, but it's the best one I can use, I often like to say people managers, that we're managers of people. And letting those people managers realize that they are often the most important conversation at their employees' dinner tables every night. And that usually stops a lot of our people managers in their tracks thinking, wow, my role is that important. And it's almost embarrassing to think that their name is brought up at the dinner table so often. But when you think about it, think about those who have led you in your own career. That is often the case. And because I'm convinced that employees don't stay or leave an organization, uh, they leave a boss. Um, They leave that people manager or they stay because of that relationship. 
think how hard it is to leave a mentor, um, someone who's guided and helped you in your career versus somebody who was really just the person who gave you your annual review or told you yes or no on your annual pay increase. If you can become that mentor, that Sherpa, that leader, that guide, rather than leave that mentor, you you often uh, hook your wagon to that person and you'll go where they go. And so our goal is to always strengthen and do everything we can to improve and strengthen that uh, relationship with the people manager. Dan has a handful of platforms he and his team use to communicate with employees. We have all the standard fare, right? We have our intranet site. We've got all of the, the standard um, boilerplate um, stuff. We use Microsoft Teams. We use various versions of Zoom. But I think what we found um, has been uh, the most helpful is uh, we have what's called engaged. It's a little I and G-A-G-E-D, engaged. And it's it's meant to resonate like being engaged and being you know fully immersed in the employee experience. And it's an app that um, all of our colleagues have on their phone. And we do sell this externally. And there's, there's little things that are just very common sense that they're almost uncommon that when, you know, our employees don't necessarily know it as the engaged app. They know it as the My MMA. And so when we work with our external clients, it's always branded with their logo, with their tagline. And so um, when they see it, when their employees see it on their phone, they don't see my MMA or they don't see engaged. They see what they decided to call it. And it's really your homepage on the go. Um, You're able to get to the most critical parts of the internet site or the most critical for our sales folks, all the most up-to-date branded uh, materials that they can use when they're on the road. Um, Our colleagues are able to instantly get to um, any identifying information they need to go to the doctor's office or to get their prescription filled. They can get uh, really quick information on their benefits. At a click of a button, they can get to their virtual doctor that is a benefit that, uh, that we provide. And we tell them, this is truly your home base on your phone, that this is one place you can go to get all the information you need. We find that that's the best place to communicate. So, you know, we do send out the normal public affairs emails and the postings on our internet side and on LinkedIn. But our hope is that most folks, they get it there if they need to, but they'll get it there on their actual homepage, on their app, on their their device, because that's, you know, always with them. And, you know, we rolled that out a few years ago, and it really took hold during just some major events in our company's history. Uh, We have a large group in Houston, and when Hurricane Harvey hit, that is how we communicated. Folks weren't able to get on our internet site, but they could get to their phone. And uh, that's how we were able to do regular daily check-ins to see how everyone was doing, who's without power, who needed to get to a hotel. And then you magnify that with um, the COVID-19 shutdown, um, you know, became even more important. It does have its challenges. We find that um, if we ever neglect the communications on there, that people quickly forget and they move on to other apps and other shiny objects. And so it's one that we have to continue to work on. But one simple way to keep employees' attention is to have frequent check-ins, communicate with them regularly, whether it's face-to-face or virtually. As low tech as it sounds, one of the things that has really strengthened our bonds with our employees is that we instantly went to twice a week virtual town halls. 
And for an organization that in the past, we struggled to do one town hall a year because we just were so um, informal. We felt like that was just far too formal for us. Let's avoid those to twice a week, which eventually turned to once a week and then twice a month. And now we've continued a, a once a month virtual town hall. We're literally all of us, everybody rank and file from the front desk all the way up to the C-suite are together at least once a month. And, you know, we start out with a lot of quirky banter. We've got some fun uh, things that we do um, on a regular basis, but we always end with one thing and it's our COO letting everybody know that he loves them. And there's people who will literally wait till the very end to stay on because they just want to hear that because our COO, you got to know he's former military, very soft-spoken. And when he tells you that, you feel it and you believe it. It was one of those things where going through COVID-19, it strengthened our culture, it strengthened our relationships. And we didn't know that that's what was going to be the, the situation going into it. Um, but it did give us an opportunity to show our colleagues that we are all in this together. Our CEO announced at the very beginning that all of our jobs were going to be safe through the thick of the pandemic. And we kept our word. We continued to do our salary increases. We continued to pay bonuses. Uh, we determined early on that we were going to get through this. Now, it wasn't without sacrifice. Um, there were uh, many of us that sacrificed parts of our own incentive to make sure that we could pay employee bonuses on time. Uh, we had to delay some increases, but we still made good on them. Hopefully through making the change to working from exclusively in office to an exclusively virtual environment to now where we are hybrid and facing, you know, unbelievable market talent pressures. We hope that we've earned a little bit of cred, a little bit of internal equity with our folks that as tough as it is to keep up with um, the salaries that are getting thrown around in the marketplace, hopefully we've shown that we're in it in the long haul with our colleagues if they will stay in it with us. And a lot of it started when we realized, you know what, we can't be in person, but we can get together virtually on a regular basis. And here's some things that with so much that we couldn't control during the pandemic, here's some things we can control. We're going to make sure that we keep everybody's jobs. We're going to keep paying increases. We're going to keep paying bonuses. I recognize not every organization is able to do that. Not each of our clients were able to do that. We feel very blessed and lucky that uh, we were able to do that. But it's a mantra that a mentor taught me years ago, just control the controllables. And that's how you bring sanity to not only your day, but to those that you have influence around. If you can nail down the things that, that you control, then you don't have to spend as much time worrying about the things that you can't control. Dan has his own tools for tracking how well employees are doing, how effective his team's communications and initiatives are performing. I have this wonderful dashboard that I'm able to see on a regular basis how many imprints we have on the actual engaged app and it shows me on a weekly basis how many unique one-time or frequent um, visitors. This is pretty boilerplate, I know, for a lot of applications. But for me, you know, as an HR leader who's looking at the employee experience, it's very important. And then again, as it's simple as it sounds, the continued stay interviews that we do, whether it's through focus groups with our new colleagues or our tenured employee focus groups as well as our exit interviews, um, just keeping a finger on that pulse to see how we're doing and where we're at. Dan is keeping his finger on the pulse of Marsh McLennan Agency, especially through any change. He's found that moving slowly and actively handling change management along the way has led to better results. One of the places we've had to have the most focus has been as we've done a gradual return to office, 
you know, we build all this great goodwill and equity. We didn't want to blow it, you know, at the very end and all of a sudden, you know, mess up and you know, by just saying everybody back to the office, you know, uh, stat. And so we spent a good year. Yes, again, polling and interviewing our people and getting their feedback and coming to the realization that there were so many things that um, are better remote. And there's so many things that are better when you're in the office. Being on Zoom all day is not one of them. If you're in the office, you should not be on Zoom. Yesterday was one of my, I called it my Zoom days where I just, I knew I was going to be on back to back. So I tried to follow my own advice. And so I was not in the office. I said, you know, I'm going to be uh, in my man cave office here at home with my wilderness <laughs> a picture in the background. It makes me feel like I'm outside. But getting all of that taken care of when I'm remote so that when I'm in the office um, on the next day, I'm in and I am present and I'm able to collaborate. And that's really how we, we sold it to our colleagues. We said, you know, there are definitely reasons why we should still embrace the flexibility of a remote environment. And we're going to do that. And so for the reasons I just described, we're going to make sure that we do that. But we find there still are reasons to get together. And that is for team meetings, brainstorming, um, collaborating. There are clients where it makes sense to be in person. So we said, you know, based on what we've looked at, there's been, uh, it's probably about four to six days a month that we think it would make sense to be in the office. And so we then gave all of our employees the chance to raise their hands, say what days made the most sense for them without getting too much set in stone. And we found that um, as we've honestly looked at our badge swipes when people come in the office and when they don't, and just through our uh, regular conversations have learned that most of our employees on average are either in person with a client or in person with their fellow teammates um, about four to six times a, a month, which means, you know, either one to two, maybe sometimes three days a week. Um, for many of us, it ends up averaging about two days uh, a week. One of the best ways I gauge the success on that initiative is that my inbox has been pretty quiet from a complaint standpoint as it relates to return to office. Our managers who thought they always needed to have their teams physically around them have been largely satisfied. And our employees that said, are you kidding me? You're going to make me drive to the office that one day just to be a part of a team meeting just because they've largely been satisfied as well. So you never want to say mission accomplished, right? But our hope is that, you know, since March of 2022, we're hoping we've hit the a little bit of the sweet spot that um, providing as much flexibility as makes sense while not losing our culture because we're not around each other. And because we still feel like there's a need, uh, not every day, but to be around each other. But when we are in person, creating collaborative events that create a magnet, that tap into that FOMO, that fear of missing out, that when people come in the office, they go, okay, this is not what I expected. I'm coming back. So it puts some pressure on people managers to make sure that it's a great experience. Uh, that it's an experience that they want to return for and do that commute for. Creating that great experience takes intention. You could even say it takes its own committee. That's where the culture committee comes in. So there's so many different things, but we, you know, we announced a culture leader for our region and she is not in HR. And so that was purposeful because we never wanted these culture events to be HR driven or the HR flavor of the month. Now I'm an important stakeholder and we meet regularly and we co-chair our various uh, culture committees, which is how we design these events. And so all these events typically are under the, the guidance 
guidance of our agency's culture leader. And they are often designed and actually run by our various culture committees. So most of our large offices have a committee built of volunteers and we call them, you know, funny enough, our culture committee. And in some of our larger groups, they've uh, had spinoffs like the philanthropy group where they work on um, social um, causes that allow us to be in the community. We even have a cleanup committee. There are those that actually get excited about helping, making sure that our conference rooms are tidy or that we've got enough um, hand sanitizer in the lobby and, and hey, whatever floats your boat. So it's great that we've got people like that. Um, so a, a whole host of, of different committees but even if offices or locations aren't large enough to have those, we at least have one regional overarching steering culture committee uh, that is a part of it. And you can't imagine the, the exciting events that they come up with, you know, everything from fun runs that, that help the community to uh, volunteering at food banks to, you know, bringing in probably the most exciting baristas we've ever had that brought in gourmet hot chocolate that people got really excited about um, during these hot summer months, having a gourmet ice cream brought in. And as soon as those things start getting around, people go, gosh, I want to be a part of that. And honestly, a lot of it started when our agency president just randomly before we ever started talking about return to office, he started just buying lunch for all of the skeleton crew that happened to be in the office on a Tuesday. Tuesday started to become a really popular day. And it's become a thing where we almost joke that our company, it's not a job, it's not a career, it's a meal plan where we find that good meetings are made even better with food. And so we do probably spend far too much on, on food. But some of the other things we've also tried to do, uh, we used to look for ways to get excited when our sales folks would finally validate, which meant they were finally had a book of business that was large enough um, that could allow them to go on commission. So rather than just sending an email congratulating them, we now invite them, uh, their families to come in and be a part of a, a largely informal event where they ring the, we have this bell that, you know, decades ago you'd ring when you ever had a sale, but this is the bell that says that this person's validated and we bring their whole support team in too. And we honor that support team because we know they were a part of making that salesperson successful and bringing the family in because, you know, the family was largely responsible for making that salesperson successful. And, you know, you bring out the Kleenex and the tissues and because, you know, the sacrifices that are made from all those teammates, all those family members to make that person successful. Because because we all know at the end of the day, none of us are paid until someone sells something. But there's a way of doing that in a cutthroat way. And there's a way of doing that in a we're all in this together, you know, way. So those bell ringing events have become must sees as well. But everything from, you know, different food events, baby showers are a big deal around here to something a little bit more buttoned up when we have like the bell ringing event. Dan has talked about creating what he calls an addictive culture, but how do you do that? How do you recruit top talent and get them hooked? We were just on a very competitive um, college campus where they had a professional sales program that was not focusing on the insurance industry. So we were competing with some very top tier companies. And there's a barrier we first have to get past that, you know, no one says insurance is sexy. And so we have to really tell our story. That's another thing that we really instill in our leaders that you got to be recruiting, but you always got to be a great storyteller. You got to share the story because we feel like we have a great story to tell. So I mentioned that we're a part of that that mid-market space. 
And um, in that mid-market space, we have a phrase that we're world-class local touch. And so our parent organization is global in the sense that if there is a, an oil uh, leak in Dubai, we are the first on the ground. If there's an earthquake in Santiago, Chile, that we are the first on the ground. But more close to home, when there's a tornado in East um, Texas, we're there. When there's a hurricane in, um, in the Gulf, we're the first that's there. Um, but even more than that, when someone's small three-person ma-pa shop um, catches fire, we're there. And so we do try to show uh, folks that you can be a part of something that is bigger than yourself. Like I mentioned earlier, that you are there during small business owners, their worst day, their absolute worst day. And you're there to let them know that they're covered and that they are going to be okay, that they're going to be able to recover because MMA was there for them. But it didn't start on that worst day. It started in the very beginning when our very technical professionals are able to look at that risk management spend and determine what is the right mix for them. You don't want to overpay for insurance, but you definitely don't want to underpay. When those bad days happen, you want to make sure you have it underpaid. And so when we sell the vision that you can be a part of something think uh, a cause. Uh, you could be a part of giving organizations peace of mind. That's one step. The next step is that your whole job is to make sure that important decision makers in the C-suite um, from the CFO, the COO, the CEO, you're knee to knee with them, making sure that they are taking care of their most important line items, their most important spend, ensuring their physical assets, but also ensuring their employees. Uh, you can't get more important than that. Uh, so helping people realize that they can be a part of some of the most important decisions that employers can make. Add on top of that, we think the mid-market space is the most exciting. Our whole country runs on small and medium-sized companies. So that's where the growth is. Our parent company loves us because we're in the small and medium and mid-market segment because that is truly where all the growth is. And so you get to be a part of a growing organization. You get to be a part of C-level decision-makers and you're helping them make important decisions, allowing you to be there in the moments that truly matter most. Where else would you want to be? I mean, would you want to be selling computers? I mean, what else would you want to be selling? How do I go and sell and be a part of peace of mind? That is a powerful purpose. And having a defined purpose is crucial in hooking potential candidates. But once they're on board, it's important to find out what makes them tick, what drives them to improve. Like we've talked about, it's different for everyone. But sometimes finding that out is as simple as just asking the question. Uh, it's something I tell our people managers all the time. Guess what? Sometimes we have to ask them. <laughs> Sometimes we have to say, what motivates you? What gets you excited? But the real underlying message there is that you actually need to have one-on-ones. And, and that's actually a phrase we shouldn't use anymore. But I hear you, it's not one-on-one, it's one with one. Meeting regularly with your employees. Um, it's not something I've always done in my career. Um, but later in my career, I had some really great mentors that they kept up with me on a weekly or monthly basis and it sold me. And so it's something that I will always try to do is meet regularly with my employees one-on-one -on -one, alone. I think the best one-on-one -on -one is outside the office, maybe across the street, maybe at a coffee shop or donut shop, your favorite shop and getting away from the office and just having that conversation. You're going to have to talk about something and you're going to run out of things to talk about. So the best things you can talk about is tell me about the things that motivate you. And I don't want to hear, you know, the normal boilerplate. And so ask, 
And not everyone's going to tell you, not everyone's going to be honest. And so start paying attention um, when you hear things like, um, oh, where are you going on your time off? See where they spend their vacations. Or tell me what you did this weekend. You're going to hear the restaurants. You're going to hear, oh, how was your birthday? You're going to hear about the gifts, the other things that really meant something to them and the ones that didn't. You're going to find out those colleagues who are coin operated, where, you know, it is all about the dollar, where others, it's more about something. uh, It's a memento. It's remembering a name remembering a birthday, remembering a special event. Others, it's going to be travel. Um, others, it's going to be an opportunity to take someone special to a, a wonderful dinner. But that all starts with spending one-on-one time with them. And it doesn't happen overnight. It means that you got to be consistent. And you can see how this kind of comes back to that strengthening the people manager and the colleague um, relationship. So it all comes back to that. But not everything is so simple all the time. It's time to get into some lessons we've learned the hard way in turbulence. So how does Dan handle when things aren't going well with an employee? I absolutely have to just remove all distractions and focus on them. And probably the biggest distraction is myself because I immediately think, oh, I I feel so bad for them and I take it personally. And so I have to just put myself in full empathy mode and think about them and what they're going through and listen. And one of the best ways I've had to do that is after I've heard them out, ask what I think is one of the most important questions. What would you like me to do? And the reason I do that is often I find many people, they realize, I guess I don't want you to do anything. I wanted someone to listen or I wanted it noted. I wanted someone to hear me out. Have someone tell me I'm not crazy. And those have honestly been my most successful employee relations um, interactions where um, at the end of the day, they've either realized that they just need to be heard or they already knew what the answer was and they just needed someone to validate the answer. It is so easy for me to go into advice mode, but then I'm not listening. And so one of the hardest things I've had to learn in my career is to listen and then ask questions. So that first question is, what would you like me to do? And then what do you think you need to do? And then what do you think you need from me or the organization to help you do what you think you need to do? The best outcomes are when it's through self-discovery and someone realizes that they can take control of the situation. I'm convinced 90% of employee relations situations are where an employee just needs to feel permission to take control of the situation, whether it's providing difficult feedback to someone who's in the interaction with them or to take themselves out of the equation and even leave the organization if they need to, Um, but allowing them to regain a sense of control. I think it all starts with listening and then asking questions. And in hard times where maybe there's a big transition happening, maybe an acquisition, new leadership, new protocols, Dan says the best way of handling it is just talking with employees, being consistently present and informing them along the way. I think the first thing to do is to make sure you're communicating. And that's more than just rapid fire. I think you can actually do more damage by over communicating, but the worst thing you can do is not communicate. And so it's determining what do people need to hear and what do they not need to hear? And so communicating what is table stakes. In other words, those things that you, again, you can control. So for example, coming out in the beginning of the pandemic and saying we can control keeping everyone's positions. That's something we're going to make a commitment to. So communicating again, what you can control and then communicating what you don't know. It is absolutely okay to say, here are the things that we know, here are the things that we don't know. And the type of trust you get from that 
honesty and transparency uh, is amazing. I can't tell you how many times through the pandemic I had to say, I don't know, but as soon as I do, I'll let you know. And then giving folks something to count on. And for us, again, it was, you can know that we're going to come in front of you twice a week. That's how we started out. And again, we're going to tell you what we know. We're going to tell you what we don't know. I think the worst thing you can do is, again, not communicate, but then communicate something that you didn't know. So don't bluff it. Don't fake it. Employees will pick up on it. I do think calm is so important. I have a lot of energy. And so that's something that I have to really focus on is is recognizing, okay, how do I give a sense of calm? The only way I've been able to do that again is letting people know when I'm going to communicate, give them something to count on and letting them know that during those times, I'll communicate what I know and what I don't know. We flew right through that patch of rough air. Let's touch on Dan's specific leadership style next in Smooth Landing. You're coming in too fast. He knows, he knows. Good landing, boys. Coast sign is on. We are headed for the Hudson. No, we're not. Be the main seat. We are going down. We're fine. We just hit bird. No, we didn't. Another happy landing. You are still dangerous. Could be my wingman anytime. Something that's reflected in Dan's work is his connection to his faith. So one of the things that I feel just very deeply about is that, you know, each of us are unique. Each of us are a blessing. Each of us are important. We're all a child of our creator. And because of that, um, everyone deserves to be heard and everyone deserves to be honored. And that has meant, you know, in my career, making sure that where I can, the things that I can control, giving every person the opportunity to, again, come to a place where they can be authentic, their best authentic self, and also let it be a place where they can achieve their potential. The hardest parts of my job have been when I've recognized that we're not that place, um, that we are not going to be the place where everyone feels like they can achieve their potential. And for some, it may be they are here for a time and then they've gained all that they can and they need to go somewhere else. Um, I've probably cherished the most those times when I'm with a really important colleague and we look at each other and we say, you know what? It's time to move on, isn't it? And you kind of have that define the relationship, that breakup conversation, but you know it's for the best. And in some of those situations, they've come back much more experienced and they're that much better for it. But I guess what you could say is just my faith has helped fuel me wanting to honor what's special about each person and making sure that beyond the job, beyond all of this, that they're able to achieve what they're looking to in this life. I hope it's with us because I feel like, again, I've got the best job. I work for the best company. And there's so much that we can untap, uh, so much potential we can untap for each one in their career. But that's not always the case for everyone. And so honoring the unique specialness of each individual um, is a deep part of my faith. And lastly, he has some advice to leave you with for any other employee experience leaders listening right now. Be prepared to be surprised. No day is the same. And that's what I love about my role in my career is that uh, you can think you've got everything set up for your day and it's going to change. And to me, that's exciting. That's not for everyone. Uh, Another piece of advice I heard was, if you want to work around people, go to the morgue. (laughs) We hear this a lot in life that, uh, oh, I'm being HR because I want to work around people. Well, you need to understand that there's a lot of wonderful blessings about working with people. There's a lot of heartache and a lot of hardship working around people people. And so you need to be able to be uh, okay with that. Um, And so as long as you realize that it's not all, although talking to me, it's probably sounds different. It's not all parties. It's not um, all seeing everyone get promoted and reach their potential. There are hard days, but if you can be prepared to be surprised 
every day is exciting. Every day is full of opportunity. Be curious on our best days um, at work, on our worst days at home. The one thing I think we have in our capacity is to be curious. I had a great mentor at my last gig that, that gave me that piece of advice that you can be sad, you can be mad, but you can always find a way to still be curious. And that allows you to be open to learning and open to hearing someone else's experience and be empathetic because heaven knows in this role, you have to be empathetic. And so at least get to a place of curiosity and uh, that opens so many doors and it can help you be successful while you're helping others uh, be successful. Because I think that's what human resource is all about. Uh, We're successful by helping others become successful, by helping them achieve their potential. So be curious about your employees, control the controllables and find the balance between professionalism and authenticity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cruising Altitude. This episode is brought to you by First Step, the company that is redefining the digital employee experience to put people first and lift companies up by connecting every worker everywhere with the information that helps them do their best work. First Step has helped over 40% of the Fortune 100 companies like Amazon, AB InBev, Ford, and Pfizer stay agile and keep transforming. Learn more at firststep.io. 